Uh, my name is Sam Ward. I am the Director of Ministry at the Message Trust, which is a, a very elaborate sounding text, uh, a title. Um, but really what it means is I oversee the ministry functions of the message. And let me just give you a potted history of what the Message Trust is. About 25 years ago, uh, a young evangelist by the name of Andy Hawthorne went to see the Bishop of Manchester and said, what is the Church of England doing for young people in our city? And uh, the, the bishop at the time said, well, I'll be honest with you, I don't know of a single thriving youth ministry in our city. And so Andy felt like the Lord said, well, you've got to do something about it. So being a young evangelist and uh, with some passion for music, he formed this rap group called the Worldwide Message Tribe, uh, which was both terrible in name and the quality of its music. You could probably describe Andy Hawthorne as the cookie monster. That's what he sounds like when he attempted to rap and they would go around Manchester schools and they would do lessons about Christ and about that kind of stuff and then at the end of the week they would do a big concert in the, in the school hall and then call kids to respond to the good news of Jesus. And it seemed to work well, even though they were called the Worldwide Message Tribe, they were actually only focused on Greater Manchester. But God seemed to bless it. In fact, they started to get a reputation in the States. They broke the US. So during the week, they'd spend their time in Manchester schools, and then often they'd be flying to America to do big concerts with tens of thousands of people. Bizarre, I know. Um, but one particular week, they were in a school in Withenshaw. Withenshaw in the late 90s was the number one most deprived neighborhood in the entire UK. Out of 32,000 different neighborhoods, Withenshaw was the number one most deprived. The largest council estate in Europe. It was a real place of deprivation. And, uh, and they went and did a schools week there and 100 kids responded to the gospel. And so they rang a local church and said, we're going to send you a hundred kids on Sunday. Are you ready? And they said, uh, yeah, I think so. So on Sunday, when 60 to 80 of these kids turned up with their dogs and their skateboards and kind of tore the place apart, I think they gave out colouring sheets and tried to keep them entertained for a while and then got them out the door and said, let's never do this again. And there comes the second part of the message ministry. What do you do when young people are being transformed by the power of the gospel, but yet the church is ill-equipped to do something about it? Well, the idea was then that we would move youth workers in to do discipleship or alongside those, those young people. So we moved in 35 youth workers who relocated to the nation's number one most deprived community. They took out off, uh, like boardings off the, off the windows and they painted up the houses and, and began to serve the neighborhood and, and grow and strengthen the church. And so you get creative music and ministry outworking then into incarnational mission, which is Eden. And really that's been the backbone of the message. And onto that, we've begun to add different things like a prison ministry. And now we've got this enterprise center, which provides jobs for those who get saved with inside prison. When they come out, we try and provide them with a home and a family and a church and a job in order to get them ready to fit back into society. That's a 25-year-old ministry uh, based in Manchester, but a scene such growth and significance that we've begun to add these hubs around the UK and now beyond. Of that first Eden team into Withenshaw, we now have 57 teams around 
around the UK and abroad. Uh, we have these hubs, now message hubs growing around the UK with other ministries being added to them. And, and part of our work in London is to partner with you guys with the Youth Minster, and it's a, a real, real joy. I've been involved with Eden myself personally for the last, well, almost 18 years. I moved into a neighbourhood called Openshaw, East Manchester. I think it was in the top 20 most deprived communities. When I moved in, it got slightly worse. That wasn't my fault. Uh, I moved into these kind of typical Manchester terrace houses. I live next to an Irish alcoholic called Tommy to my right and to my left a family of sex workers and that was a real eye-opener you know when you move into your neighborhood. I remember the first night um, going, to, going to bed in this new environment and hearing cars joyriding around the streets and then one got wedged between in the alleyway between a few of the houses and thinking Lord what am I doing? But I suppose what starts out as, as a real adventure just becomes life. And actually, I believe mission happens best when life is done properly. And I suppose as I began to make my home in the neighborhood, and it's then that we really saw God begin to work wonders and see our neighborhood transformed. One of the things that's really inspired us, one of the scriptures that we hold to, is this incredible verse uh, of scripture from Isaiah 61. The messianic prophecy, the very words that Jesus uses as his, as his manifesto in Luke chapter 4. I just love Luke, those early days of Christ after he's been baptized and goes under the water and the heavens open and the dove descends and the, the very voice of God is heard. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he's taken from there into the desert for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil and overcomes. And then his first Saturday back at the synagogue, he walks in and is asked to read from the scriptures and reads that powerful scripture from Isaiah 61. And every ear is attentive to his words and every eye is fixed on Christ. And after he's finished, he rolls back the scroll and sits down saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the fulfillment of the great prophecy of Isaiah 61. He drops the mic. He is the one on which the spirit of the sovereign Lord has rested. The Lord has appointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent him to bind up the brokenhearted. He sent him to proclaim freedom for the captives. He sent him to bring release from darkness for the prisoners. He sent him to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of God, sent him to comfort the mourning, those who mourn, to provide for those in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to send, uh, he sent to bestow the oil of joy instead of mourning, to bestow on them the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. He sent by the sovereign Lord to bring the kingdom near. And check out what Jesus did. And, and see the things that Jesus said. There's nothing I enjoy more than reading the stories of the Gospels. And we've heard one this morning from Luke chapter 7. Jesus has a large crowd following him because he does incredible things. He's working in the power of the Spirit. He lives uh, under the anointing of the Sovereign Lord. And it seems that daily the miraculous is taking place. 
You wouldn't have wanted to miss it for a moment. You know when you've begun to journey with Jesus, you just don't want to go home in case you miss something spectacular. And as they approach this town called Nain, they're they're greeted by a funeral parade. A large crowd of mourners is walking behind a coffin. The only son of of a widow is dead. What must the widow have thought as Jesus and this mass of people walk towards them? More mourners, more friends and family come to say their farewell. I wonder how much of this story is spoken about that we don't get recorded in the scriptures. I wonder how much Jesus knew without being told. All we are read is that, all we read is that God, uh, that Jesus' heart goes out to her. That his, his heart is overflowing with compassion. He's deeply moved and he, and he goes up to her and you imagine he looks in her eyes and he says these words, don't cry. What a thing to say to someone grieving. Imagine gate-crashing a funeral with a thousand people and then telling the widow that's just lost her only son that she isn't to cry. Like, he doesn't know this lady, he's never met the son, and he says, don't cry. I wonder if people were, like, taken aback. Like, what did he just say? I wonder if people were appalled, but you know the words of Christ were full of power and full of grace. His words alone would have brought great healing. But you know you only have the right to say don't cry if you have the power to help, if you have the solution. You only have the right to say don't cry if you have the authority to give the mourners something to replace their sorrow. Only if you're able to offer them something in exchange for their grief. I wonder if Christ had those words from Isaiah 61 ringing in his ears. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Then he went up and touched the briar they were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus gave him back. He made the divine exchange. Don't cry, here is your son. The spirit of the sovereign Lord was on him. In that moment, he exchanged the mourning for joy, grieving for gladness. What Jesus exchanges for mourning is not happiness, but joy. Happiness is momentary. Happiness is fleeting, but joy, joy is far deeper, far richer, far longer lasting. It's eternal. Joy isn't found in getting what you want, but found in delighting in what God wants. A writer called Sam Storm says this, Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, it's the very presence of God. Joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering, it is the presence of God. Think on what the the, the writer to the Hebrews says of Christ. For the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy of heaven for the joy of completing his mission, for the joy of rescuing us, for the joy of glorifying the Father, Jesus endured the cross. 
What an incredible blessing to know that God is with us in the midst of suffering. What great grace that he doesn't leave us to grieve on our own. What is it about our nation that we kind of leave people in their sadness? I don't know what to say, so I'll say nothing. We are not abandoned to our sadness. Christ responds. He says, don't cry. I have something for you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Comforted with the oil of gladness. Oil has significance. Oil is used for anointing. The Spirit of the Lord is on Christ to anoint the grieving. At the time when you feel like you've lost everything, we are given something by Christ. To those who mourn, there is an anointing of the Spirit. Often we can feel consumed with grief, but the exchange gives us purpose. We are set apart for the purpose of gladness. We're set apart for joy. The oil of gladness helps us to see God's purposes and our part in it. The oil of gladness helps us to understand that Jesus was also an only son who died. It helps us to know that Jesus defeated death. It helps us to know that death has no sting. It helps us to live in light of those wonderful words from Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The resurrection of the only Son frees us. The resurrection to life of the only Son redeems us. The resurrection of the only Son ensures our resurrection. We are offered the exchange, mourning for gladness in light of Christ. The oil of joy softens us. That it had that purpose back in the day. Oil was used to soften things that were hard. And at the point where our hearts could get hard towards God, the oil of gladness keeps us soft. I had to journey with a family as they lost their son, their 17-year-old son. He was an only son, uh, and he was lost to cancer. It broke my heart. This is a family who were long-term heroin addicts from my neighborhood. They'd been given twins, but, you know, this lad Cody who died was one, one of a twin, but his twin had died in childbirth because he was so addicted to heroin. And so they brought this child up as their only son, but he picked up cancer when he was just 16. And by the time he was 17, he was gone. And I journeyed with him every single day, taking his parents to the hospital. And I was there on the day that he died. They called me early in the morning. I arrived before anyone else. And they said, we can't go in and see him. We can't be with him. Can you just go and shut his eyes? I'd never been with a dead person before. And my heart was breaking. Lord, why didn't you rescue this kid? Surely if you'd saved him, if you'd healed him, the neighborhood would have known. This would have been the most wonderful thing that could have happened. My heart at that moment was hard. And I remember they said to me, Sam, will you do our funeral? Will you do the funeral for us? And I had to do all the organizing. And they said, you, can you carry him in on your shoulder? So I'm carrying in this lad that I place at the front and I have to stand up and speak at the front and lead the service. 
And I remember just panicking about all that stuff before the day. And I spoke to a mentor of mine, and he says, tomorrow, when you wake up for the funeral, you will know great grace. You will receive something that will help you with your mourning. And I was not convinced. I thought, how would that happen? But actually, the morning that I woke for the funeral, it was like I was drenched in the oil of gladness. I was overcome with the joy of the Lord. Was I sad? I was broken in my heart. But was I hard towards God? I was not. I understood that death was not the end. I'd been with Cody, and, I'd, and you know, as his, his life was fading away, and my mum said, you know what, his ears will be the last thing to go, so read scripture over him and pray over him. And so sometimes I would, I would, I would just read through where I was at in my Bible reading. One particular day, I, I, I was in Romans chapter 5, and I read those amazing words that say, while, we're st- while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I said to Cody, isn't, isn't Jesus incredible? He doesn't pick the best. He doesn't pick the finest. He doesn't fit, pick the fixed, but he picks the broken. And in our brokenness, he loves us despite our mess. And Cody said yes. And that was the last word he ever spoke. He said yes to the goodness of God. How can I... <laughs> How can I not be filled with joy as I take his funeral? The oil of gladness, the oil of joy reminds me that death is not the end. The oil of joy beautifies us. It improves our appearance. We look joyful. We look different. The oil of gladness, the oil of joy perfumes us. We smell of a heavenly fragrance. When the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth, died, you know, he'd had an incredible ministry. There was thousands of policemen, let alone the hundreds of thousands of people that came and saw his funeral parade. But at the graveside, his son, Bramwell Booth, was asked to say a few words about his father. And he said this, if you were to ask me, I could, I could say that the happiest man I ever knew was the general, William Booth. He was a glad spirit. He rose up on the crest of stormy billows and praised God and laughed at the devil's rage and and went on with his work with joy. What a lovely thing to be able to say about a man of God, that he was full of the joy of the Lord, the happiest man, the deep, deep joy with which he went about God's work. We should be people marked with joy. God wants us not just to experience his joy, but receive his joy. We're anointed with it. It's poured out over us. The oil of gladness is difficult to wash off. Oily substances are hard to remove. I put oil on my beard and then sometimes I'll accidentally stroke my beard and then I get oil on everything. Like my keyboard is oily because of the beard oil that I have on my face. The oil of gladness should be like that. It should be drenched upon us and it should leave its mark somewhere. How will the world taste and see that the Lord is good if we're a miserable bunch? The blessing and the anointing of God has purpose. Billy Graham, whose funeral was just this week, said this, God has given us two hands. 
one to receive with and the other to give with. Those who receive the anointing of God are called to use the anointing of God. We leave the marks of God everywhere that we go. I remember going to a youth event where we were greeted at the door by someone who gave us a high five or shook our hand. And what we didn't realize was that they'd, they'd put on their hand an oily fragrance, a, a, like a really oily perfume. And actually, as, as they began to do the talk later on, they said, smell your hands. And we all smelt our hands and we were like, wow, what is that? And they said, as you've begun to go around and welcome others, the, the fragrance had been passed off. And we as Christ's believers, those who have been anointed with the oil of gladness, should be like that. Where we go, we should leave an oily stain. We should leave the fragrance of heaven. People should know that we've been with God and that his anointing is upon us. The divine exchange not simply moves us from a place of grieving to a place of gladness, but it moves us from a place of receiving to a place of giving. What grace. What grace. We are blessed that we might become a blessing. We are not the final destination of God's blessing. We're not a cul-de-sac in which the anointing goes up. I don't know what it is about the church in our nation, but we seem to want to have stuff given to us from God, but we make it such a personal affair. Private and individual is the anointing and the blessing that God has given me. Intimate and individual. I remember taking a guy from my neighborhood into um, rehab. His children had been taken away from him because they'd been seen eating out of garbage bins in our, our estate. And the social services had said, if you can just get yourself clean, we'll give you your children back. And so I'd made it my mission to try and help this guy get clean from his heroin addiction. And so I'd managed to get him into a rehab center and we drove down towards town in my car and I'd bought him all brand new pajamas and, and let lovely smellies to help him, you know, uh, like really engage with the process and on the way down there he said to me Sam are you not even going to pray for me and I was thinking well little does he know I've been praying for him all the way down here and so I said well Martin what you don't know is I've prayed for you all the way down in my head and he said you selfish <laughs> expletive he said if you're talking to God behind my back I am very disappointed. He said, well, what you say to God about me, I want to know. And he said, if God talks about me, I want to know that too. I was thinking, you know what, there's so much truth in this. I'd made my relationship with Christ so individualistic. I'd made it about me and God. I'd made the blessing, the anointing about my relationship with Jesus. And here is a guy who's saying, this isn't for you, this is for me. When you're talking to God about me, I want to know. We cannot make ourselves the destination of God's blessing. God's blessing comes to us. It rests upon us, but it must be for the purpose of his kingdom. God generously pours out his blessing into our lives, and we cannot store them up selfishly. God displays his love in us that we might display his love to others. God reveals his mercy in us that we might reveal his mercy. God has rescued us in order that we might be a part of his rescue plan. And he anoints us with the oil of gladness that we might be bringers of joy to the world. 
those who have truly experienced God's joy will want to leave displaying his joy. The anointed carry the anointing. The anointed are to be those who anoint others. Why is it that Christians are more annoying than anointed? There is a problem here. But Christ is the one who calls us to take on his ministry. In John chapter 20, Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Therefore, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, is not just for the Messiah, but for the people of the Messiah. We are those on whom the spirit rests. Are you grieving today? Are you in mourning? Don't cry. Jesus has something for you. Come to him. Exchange your sorrow for gladness. Receive the anointing this morning. Receive it. Don't simply experience it. Take it with you. Go into the world covered with the oil of gladness and use it for Christ and his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you that your people have purpose. Lord, thank you for the divine exchange. Thank you that our brokenness can be exchanged for fullness. Thank you, Lord, that our mourning can be turned to joy. And thank you, Lord, that there's purpose beyond us, that you bless and anoint us, that we might be part of your plan. Lord, this morning we say, send your Holy Spirit amongst us, that we may be a part of your plan to see this world transformed. Thank you, Lord. Amen.